Hello, everyone. Welcome to Spectrum Talk. My name is Ruby Jones, and I'm here today with Crystal Ryan. She's the founder of Beyond Blessed, an organization that provides support and promotes justice for victims of crime and abuse. She's the author of Through It All, which tells her story of survival. And she's also the host of Through It All, the podcast, uh, which shares awareness and education about domestic violence. Crystal is here with me today to discuss her experiences in honor of Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Thank you so much for joining me, Crystal. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Good, good. Um, well, I'm excited to hear all about what you do. I know that um, domestic violence can be a very sensitive subject. So thank you for being willing to share your story, not only with me, but with others in order to help and heal. Now, they say it takes, on average, anywhere from seven to, I've even heard, 30 times for someone to leave an abusive relationship. How many times did it take you, and what was the final straw that made you ultimately stick with that final leave? Um, it took me over 20 times. Um, I didn't want to be the typical statistic, single mother with children, um, unable to do it by myself. So the final straw was um, a kick to the face mm. and a phone call to my pastor telling my pastor what had happened and my pastor told me to stay. And I realized that either he was going to kill me or I was going to kill him and my children wouldn't have anyone. So I had to make that tough decision to leave. Wow, I can't believe that a pastor would tell you to stay. I feel like a lot of times um, when domestic violence is involved, you know, people reach out to people that they feel will support them and then they get the opposite. And I don't know if it's just an outdated ideology or what, but that's terrible. I'm sorry. Wow. They encourage you. Well, they wanted us to do family counseling. My ex-husband wasn't going to do that because he believed in what goes on in our house stays in our house. Mm. And um, I was secretly reaching out to my pastor and to his mo even my pastor's mother, you know, so because that was my comfort zone. Church was my happy place and I felt secure there. But, you know, when it came down to, okay, I really need you all to step in and help me, the suggestion was, you know, why don't you stay until we um, get more counseling? That wasn't safe for me. Did you have a plan in place? To I did not. I did not. Um, I knew that I was getting tired. Mm -hmm. I knew I didn't have family to turn to. I didn't have a support system. Um, on the outside, looking in, everyone thought that I had the perfect, the perfect marriage. The, you know, I had the homes, the fancy cars. Everyone thought everything was perfect. Um, I, I've been a nomad since I was the age of 15. My grandmother passed away who raised me. So my parents weren't in the picture, my sisters and brothers, no one. So it was just myself and my two children. And um, working as, as, a, as a nurse, in the hospital and I, I was passing meds and I, I was crushing pills and I knew I was putting them in my pocket instead of giving them to my patients because I had a plan. That was my plan. I was going to get rid of him because I was tired of being abused. And so I I turned to God and I, I said, God, I got to get out of here, but I don't know. If I go back to Virginia, he knows where I'm from. Um, I have been researching Denver. I'm originally from Virginia. We were living in Houston, um, but I'm, I was researching just Denver, Colorado, jobs and things like that. Never said anything to my children. 
And I asked my children one day, I said, if we can go anywhere to get away, where would we go? And my daughter at the time, she was eight. And she said, Denver, Colorado, because it snows there. Wow. So safe house. I call safe house Denver twice. Um, three times. I'm sorry. I call them three times. And all three times I backed out. And that kick to that face that night, I knew that I had to get away. And I called them again and they said, you know, we do have a bed for you, but if you cancel this time, you know, we won't be able to reserve it or hold another one. Wow. So I said I was going to get ice cream with my children and it'll be 15 years on October 22nd that I escaped. Good for you. Wow. I know that must have been hard going somewhere that you didn't. Did you have people here? You didn't know anybody here? I didn't know anybody. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a car. I didn't know anything about Colorado except for I love the Broncos. That's all I knew. <laughs> and and I had enough money to buy three one-way bus tickets. And when the money ran out, we were here, but we were in the shelter. So, and it was destined for us to, to come here because God had it all ordained. He had it in place. I didn't stop going. Two weeks later, I had a job. We were in transitional housing. So it's just been a constant staying focused and going. So I we lacked nothing from day one that we got here. That's so inspiring. You know, a lot of times I see women who are asking questions about, you know, the process of leaving and wanting to leave. And finances are, are that main thing that make it so hard to leave a lot of times. Um, and I think there's this fear of the unknown, you know, but ultimately getting away from something that's breaking you down and killing you is going to be the best thing you can do. And it's amazing that all those things kind of fell into place and the pieces came together um, in the process of taking that leap of faith for you. So good, good. I was supposed to drive. My plan was I was going to drive. I had a Mustang and I had all my important papers in the in the car underneath the spare tire. I hit a pothole that night, the night prior. So my car was not able, I wasn't able to drive my car. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna stay. And God said, no, I had enough money squirreled away. And I said, okay, I'm getting on this bus and I'm taking that chance. And the good thing in, in Houston is when you go to the bus station, there's um, armed police officers. If you don't have a ticket, you can't go past. Okay. So I told the officer, I said, I'm running away from my husband and I'm afraid that he's going to look in the bus station and see me. He didn't know. So, but that was just my fear. Those are the things that play over in your head. You're like, oh my God, what if he catches me? What if he sees me? And so um, we were, it wasn't until we got on the bus and those doors closed and it began to pull off that I breathed. And I didn't even have enough money to feed myself. It was a almost a three-day trip on the bus. I had just enough money to feed my children. Wow. So when I got to Denver, I had 32 cents left in my pocket. Oh, and, no, and no one, and didn't know which way I was going or who. Didn't know anything. Well, speaking of your children, um, how many children do you have? I have two children. My son, Jay, he's now 28. And my daughter, Dara, she's 25. Okay. At wow. the time, they were eight and 13. So yeah, it was 10 and 13. I'm sorry, they were 10 and 13. 10 and 13. Okay. Um, as they've gotten older, have you noticed any long-term effects 
from what they've experienced? And um, do you talk to them about what happened in the past? Mm -hmm. So they do, you know, my children suffered silently. They were never physically abused, um, but emotionally and even spiritually, my children were scarred emotionally because it's their father. You know, you have a son, your son, I don't care. Mom cannot be dad. So that put my children in like a predicament, like, oh, wow, um, this is my dad. This is my mom. You know, so my son for a long time was angry because he didn't have his father. Um, it did something to him mentally. It it affected him mentally because, you know, you put a, the children in a predicament where they have to choose, basically. I kept them. I hid them. We didn't have any contact. So he was also angry. My son was angry because how can you keep me from my father? Even though he remembers everything from a little child up until we left, he was still angry because he didn't have that contact. My daughter, um, emotionally, um, she became so attached to me. So it was kind of like unhealthy. She didn't want to be by herself. She didn't want to see me by myself. She wanted to make sure I was okay at such a young age. So it became like an unhealthy relationship to where if one wasn't there, the other one wasn't happy. We didn't know how to be separated. Um, it also gave her some insecurities because um, my daughter is petite. She's beautiful. She's an athlete, but she suffered from body dysmorphia where she would look in the mirror and feel like she's two, 300 pounds. I'm like, where do you get that from? You're beautiful. And then I have to stop and think, oh, wow. That's what was said in our home. You're fat, you're fat, you're fat. And I would sit there and I would chug in diet pills or exercising for hours and hours and beating myself up to where I was unhealthily skinny. Wow. And so it did affect my daughter, me trying to tell her, oh no, you're beautiful. She didn't understand that because it's what, you know, children are sponges. Yeah. They they learn what they absorb. And if you're constantly saying that in front of them, well, it just becomes a repetitive cycle. Then it, it spirals down to our children. And so um, we did get the counseling that we needed. And we are so close now. We are the closest. For a minute, my son didn't like me. My son wouldn't even, he didn't respect me. Like it wasn't a, a blatant disrespect where he would curse me out or anything, but it was like an anger inside of him. And he didn't understand. It wasn't until he's he's 28 now, maybe 25, where our relationship really bonded back together because we were able to sit down and talk, talk through, well, what is hurting you? Why do you feel this way? Why do you treat your mom this way? And so we were able to come together and find out, okay, this is what happened. I didn't know the scars that my daughter carried just by seeing. I didn't know her pain was for me, you know? So yes, it was, uh, it was a journey. And it was like, they masked very well. I knew they were angry, but I didn't know why. I knew my daughter was scared, but I didn't know why. So once we got together and we, and I told people being on meds, um, I had to take meds. Uh, I had to take a pill to get up, to go to bed and a pill to function until I was at that point of where I could function healthily without it. But my kiddos, the counseling was the most important thing that I've ever done for us. That's amazing. Wow. And good for you for getting the help that they need and really walking with them through that. That's got to be so tough. Oh, my gosh. No. Did you experience abuse in your past, like during your upbringing or anything like that? Were you ever exposed to 
the same type of thing that you went on to experience later in life? That's why through it all, her story was written. So um, people often ask me, how can you, they, you know, you look pretty, pretty smart. How can you um, think that abuse is okay? How could you stay with somebody that long? And I was like, well, um, if the person or persons who are supposed to protect you and love you as a child, if they rape, molest, abuse you as a child, that's love to you because these are the adults that are supposed to take care of you. Right. And so it was like second nature when I got married, if my husband fought me or if my husband raped me, that's okay. It's okay because that's what the men do that love you. And so I started to, you know, I, I wore a mask because I've been doing my support groups. I've been doing um, mentoring other women for years, but I wasn't healed because the little girl that had gone through all of that stuff up to adulthood hadn't taken the time to speak out and she hadn't taken the time to heal. So the only way that I got my complete healing was to write about it. Mm -hmm. So I, and it took me two years to allow the book to be published because I was still ashamed. And I knew that, okay, grandma's gone now. Who's going to protect me when the family members come, come for me? Who's going to say, oh, she's lying. That didn't happen. You know? So there were so many things that I had to prepare myself for, but I wanted to be healed. And I asked God, I said, God, why do you create someone that can pretty much identify with anything another woman comes up and says, I've been through that. And I, at one point in time, I was like, yeah, me too. And I'm like, geez, I know people must think she's got to be lying somewhere. <laughs> I had experienced it from nine months old, being abandoned by my mother mm. all the way through my marriage. And so, and then God says, everyone is called for a purpose. My purpose is to let the next woman know that you're not alone. You're not the only one that has been through that. So it was my childhood that made me think that it was okay in your marriage to be to be abused. I saw uncles abuse their their spouses. And what went on in our house, it stayed in our house. No one ever, I never saw anyone call the police on anyone. I never saw, and you would see them the next day, they would be okay. And then next weekend it would happen all over again. So that's what I that's what I learned. And so that's why I stayed for so long. That's why I put up with it, because I thought that was love. I never knew love. I didn't know love as a child outside of that. My goodness. Well, um, so years ago, I started working with the Women's Crisis Center and I was receiving counseling to try to work through the effects of an abusive relationship that I had gone through in the past. Um, but in that process, I realized that what I was currently experiencing was also abuse. And um, I didn't know about the different forms of abuse. I didn't know that there was a difference. I didn't know that there was, you know, such thing as financial abuse, which I was currently, you know, at that time experiencing. So I began to learn that abuse doesn't always look one way and it reshapes kind of my view of everything. Um, and you just talked about some of the different forms that you've experienced throughout your life. But I'm wondering in the process of leaving and after you got on that bus and you were safely in Denver, did you ever have to go through litigation abuse? Because that's something that I'm just kind of recently discovering um, how like the the whole idea of co-parenting with your abuser can lead to litigation abuse and just kind of, you know, 
be that extra nudge that when you're trying to get away, it makes it a lot harder. So I'll be honest, um, because I didn't want to go through that. I hid my children and myself. I didn't file for divorce until after my children were adults because I didn't want to go through the child support because if I go through child support, he's got to have contact with his children. Yeah. Um, I basically fell off the face of the earth. I did not I did not use social media. Um, I went into the witness address protection program. I'm still a part of that. I went into that. And that was because I knew that if we go to court, there's no... Even though we had um, paperwork where he had been abusive, these are still his children. Mm -hmm. So he still has just as much right to his children as I do. And I didn't want him filling the brains of my children with, he had already done enough, you know? He had already done enough, you know, when he would get Jay by himself, he would say things that were untrue. And then my son was like, well, dad said, okay. Um, So I kept, I did not, I never received any assistance from him. I never received any child support. Were, and I didn't file for divorce until my children were both legal age and I didn't need his assistance and I didn't need any of his help. Wow. Well, one of the questions that I had for you was what was the biggest challenge um, and leaving and trying to rebuild your life? But it sounds like the financial played a huge role in that. And I'm just I'm glad to know that things worked out for you and, you know, everything worked out. You got your job. You got everything kind of situated um, but again, that that has to be just so terrifying. It's very terrifying, you know, because you can put my name or your name, you can type your name into Google. And even though you're a victim, you have all these things on file. If you have an electric bill in your name, if you have anything in your name, your address is going to pop up. So if someone wants to find you, it's not impossible. But I have to have these things in order to live, right? So... Okay. For a couple of months, it was constant fear every time I walked out of my my house. It was like, oh my gosh, you know, because he told me, I'll find you, I'll kill you, you'll never get away from me. And you know, those things you remember, no, no matter how strong and how confident you are, no matter how strong your faith is, you're still human mm-hmm. and you have to watch over your shoulder. You have to, but it just began, I began to just breathe. And I said, you know, God, if this is how I'm gonna go out, this is how I'm gonna go out. I'm not going to live in fear anymore. And I'm not going to continue to look over my shoulder. But for about six months, yeah, it was totally, it was horrible. And then I actually was in Safe House Denver and I told my, I asked my counselor, I said, can you please help me get back home? Because I'd rather be beat than stay here. I woke up, we're in a shelter. It's like, oh my gosh, I've never been in this situation. And I sat down and I was holding Adira. I was like, are you okay? And she goes, yeah, I'm just afraid that you're going to go back. Oh, man. She had no, I'm like, God has worked through this child. Like, if she were so connected, it's like, that's exactly what I was thinking because I'm like, well, at least they, we go back, the kids will have their own home. They'll have their, they'll be back in their comfort. And when I thought about it, I honestly told her I would rather be beat than stay in a shelter where I was safe at. And I was like, no, that can't. So the fear of looking over your shoulders was hard. And then the fear of being alone. And then we often go back because of our children. We think we're doing our children um, what's best for our our kids by saying, okay, we'll go back. But when you sit down and you think about everything they've endured mentally, everything they've heard verbally, 
you know, they're victims as well of abuse. So we have to just stop and just be like, okay, what is best for us? And it's not staying in that situation because you don't want to be on welfare. You don't want to give me every assistance that's out there to help me. And I, I was on assistance. I've been grateful for some of the greatest programs. I didn't have what I had financially when I was married, but I had enough to survive and I had enough to keep us going. And that's with the help of, help of assistance. I'll never say again, I don't want to be on the system because the system helped me out a lot. Well, it's interesting that you say that. And I'm glad that you brought it up because there are so many resources that are available. And again, one of the things that I commonly hear is that someone doesn't want to stay in the shelter. And, you know, we know that it's not the best case scenario, but a lot of times those shelter services are partnered with organizations that can fast track more comfortable um, situations. So I'm glad that you didn't let that, you know, deter you from continuing forward. Yeah, it was it was the best thing I, I've ever done. You know, in the beginning, when we got here, they didn't have locks on the on the door. So, you know, we secured ourselves there. You know, we're in a new state. But, you know, we went from a shelter to a transitional housing program and taking that I had a job two weeks later, the transitional housing program that I was in, you paid rent, but it was a savings account. So then when I found an apartment, they give you all that money back. And then there's programs to help with your deposits. Oh, then there's a section eight program. You can get on a waiting list for that. And then, you know, so there was just so many things that I didn't even know were out there that existed that, you know, even though I may not have needed them all, the ones that I needed were readily available and you just have to, um, I didn't know about them, but you have to do your research. And like you said, these programs, they have every resource listed for us. You just have to have to go in with that open mind and just be receptive, you know, to, to take what they're offering. Tell me a little about your support groups. Do you share those resources and um, are the people that you work with receptive to seeking out that help and actually sticking with it and leaving. Yeah, I've had um, some great success. Like it's not, um, it hasn't been huge. I'm a believer in whoever needs to be there, God will send. So through it all is basically, it's not your average support group. It's a place where we come together and we are just who we are. Some of us are still in our situation. Some of us are out. Some are just people that want to know, um, how can I help someone? So we'll come and it's um, sip and paint night. Well, we'll start talking about um, our painting and it's like, well, how has your week been? Oh, have you reached out to any of these contacts that I referred you to? No, I haven't. I'm going to stay. Well, well why did you decide to stay? So it's not a um, full on, I got a slideshow and this is what we're talking about abuse tonight. It's real women coming together that's just, hey. I just need someone who can understand, someone who can identify with me, and someone that I can pull a little bit of their information from them. Or we're just a group of women. We're going to get together. We're going to cry about this together tonight, and we're going to help each other day by day. So I, um, I've been. Sometimes I hold it at my house. Sometimes I hold it at the library. Wherever I can get a small space for us. And as we grow, we do things like go thrifting. It might be the, um, the through it all ladies. We're going thrift store shopping this week because Tina just got her new apartment. So let's go, you know, so those are the kind of things. It's just like a, a sisterhood 
you know, to where we're, we, we've all pretty much walked the similar path or some of us are still walking it. They just need to get away from their uh, abuser that night and hear that it's not your fault. Here, let's, let's go in the kitchen. And what do you want to eat tonight? Because your husband is on a special diet and you can't have this in your house. What do you want tonight? I get requests like that. Hey, can we just do tacos tonight? I'm like, sure. You know, because we need small things too. And then it's without feeling that we're judged or feeling like, um, well, this is Crystal from Denver Police Department support group. No, this is Crystal that has been abused not once, but twice. And, you know, my story is not your story. Your story is not mine. But together we can find help for, for each other. Like even me, I pull from some of my ladies like, hey, where are you getting counseling at? Because this resource has ran out for me. It's an ongoing thing. I never get over it, but I've learned how to live with it. I, I say we glow and we grow. We're glowing and we're growing through it. And it's not that. It's so good to know that you're not alone, really. Yeah. And so I went to your website. It's beyond-blessed.org. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and on your blog, uh, one of your blog posts is about restoring the relationships with friends and family. And I know that going through abuse, like it can be difficult because you're isolated a lot of times. And then the people in your life can get frustrated. They don't necessarily know how to deal with someone who's in an abusive relationship. And like you said, it's, you know, you're being questioned. Well, how could you stay? And why haven't you left? And I don't know if they personalize it and kind of take it on as their own. Like, I just can't deal with it anymore. But I know that a lot of times those relationships can kind of break down. So um, how did you begin to repair those relationships with your friends and family uh, and how did you find, I guess, the motivation to make new friends outside of what you'd been through when you first got to Denver and you were like, okay, I don't have anybody. Like, how did you start reaching out and making those connections? Um, I, it started just by me being in the shelter and <laughs> I started in the shelter, like encouraging young women. Um, they they called me Mama K. And so my friends were all the young women in the shelter. Um, and I just started day by day because it starts so young. And I've noticed that there were, there were women that were teenage mothers that were there. And um, so I just began, began supporting and loving on those young women. Um, my church family became my family because I had no one here. Everyone that I started out with here was from my church. And we're still family. Um, I had to be with with my family and friends um, back home. I had to just be honest with them of what I was going through because I've always been deemed a strong one. And I've always been that one that no matter what, I'm going to keep going. And so a lot of them didn't believe what I was going through. They couldn't believe it. Or some of them saw it and just didn't want to accept it for what it was. Right. Um, when my when a, one of my anthologies came out, The Unstoppable Black Woman, I had people say that I was lying. People that actually saw me being abused was like, nope, he didn't do that. And then it was like, well, yeah, he did, you know, because I would like, remember you were there. How about this night? That's abuse. Wow. Yes, because he took my, my credit card and slapped me because I spent too much. That's abuse. Right. So no matter how you try to sugarcoat it, it did happen. So 
because I survived and because um, God gave me a second chance, it was I, it's only fitting that I feel like I encouraged the next woman. And I start with with the people that are my daughter's age or younger. I, I don't know why I'm that magnet for them, but I have been, and I've learned so many of them were going through the same thing at 19 that I was going through at 19. And so I, I, I told God, I asked God, I said, God, if I survive, if you let me survive, I will, as long as there's breath in my body, I will bring awareness to domestic violence. I will help any woman that I can. I will put my own self out there just so the next woman can see that they're not alone. And it's okay. It's okay to speak out about it. Wow. Thank you for speaking out about it. Um, you have mentioned age a few times. I know that there's a tendency for younger women um, and girls specifically. I, I don't really know how it works, if it's the same thing for men who may be experiencing um, domestic violence, but I do know with young women and girls, there's a tendency to welcome the attention of older men. Um, for me, when I was younger, it made me feel special when I received an older man's attention. I thought that, you know, oh, I must have it going on. But then when I got older, I felt like I couldn't relate to men my age because I was a young mom. So I was like, oh, well, I'm more mature, so I have to find an older man. But when it comes to uh, young women or girls dealing with older men, do you think that abuse really is more prevalent? And if so, why is that? Well, I think a lot of us look for that father figure. Um, well, I know I looked for that father figure because I didn't have that. Yeah. And um, so the control at the beginning, it's like, oh, that's so cute. He loves me. Oh, that's so cute. Um, we don't see it as possession. And at first I thought it was just because um, the man could be older, but no, and when I, what I personally feel is that when your abuser finds your weak spots, when he finds out what you're lacking and what you're in need of, that's what they use to keep you. Because my ex would tell me, you don't have anyone. No one loves you. Where are you going to go? You know? And, and I would sit down. I would think, yeah, I don't have a mother or father to run to. I'm the oldest sibling. Whew. Yeah. So it becomes that control thing. And at first we think that, like you said, we think it's cute. We think, I thought that it was love. I thought it was protection. But no, it was complete. It was the complete opposite. The word that I've heard a lot, uh, used a lot is grooming. And grooming and control sound like they just go hand in hand. It's kind of like being taught that that's what you're supposed to do, that that's what love is, that that's what is expected of you. Um, and gosh, I don't know, it, it must be really difficult just as a young girl to have to try to figure out what love really is and what it looks like. Um, so what did you think love was when you were younger and how is that different from what you feel it is now? Well, actually, I didn't even, I didn't know what love was. Mm -hmm. I didn't grow, I didn't come from a family that would, that loved on you and hugged on you and, you know, told you you were pretty or you know, I love you. That That's not what I came from. The The love that I got was the uncle molesting me and saying, I love you. Um, I wanted so badly to be loved. I wanted the love of a mother. I wanted the love of a father, but I never had that. So the person that showed me the least bit of attention, oh, they had me. They had me. I just wanted to be loved. 
I just wanted to be nurtured. And honestly, I felt like um, I didn't know how to live. I needed someone to tell me because I had always been directed in what to do. You do this, you do that. So I, I looked for someone that always told me what I needed to do, what they wanted me to do. I lived in someone else's shadow because I didn't feel like I was worthy enough or smart enough to make my own decisions. I didn't, I didn't know who Crystal was. I didn't know what Crystal was capable of. I knew that I was strong. I knew that I had it, had goodness inside of me, but I didn't know what love was. And so that least little bit of attention, you had me, you had me. If you, if you told me, oh, you're so pretty Uh, and you know, and then it became my body as I matured, you know, oh, whoa, look at those thick legs, you know, look at you. you know, well, I was mature. I, what was I, eight years old when my virginity, when my sexuality was taken away from me. You know, my first time I was molested, I was eight years old. So by the time I was 15, I was doing things that grown women were doing, but I didn't know that was love. That's what we do. And so it was just having someone that I thought loved me. I didn't want to lose that again. I didn't want to be a nomad without anybody. I wanted to stay here because this was comfort. It was comfortable and it was what I thought was love. And I didn't think that I would ever find someone to love me the way that he said that he loved me. Well, you turned your experience into a testimony. You wrote a book, uh, we, we talked about it in the introduction and you've talked about it through it all, her story. And you also co-authored Unstoppable Black Woman with Donna Izzard and Unshakable Faith with Chandra Nicole Gore. Um, You also have that Through It All podcast. So how do you think your your, uh, ability to share your story is helping to heal others who are either in abusive relationships or um, working through what it means to be a survivor? What's the biggest takeaway that you want people to get from everything that you've contributed creatively about your story is the confidence in knowing that you're not alone the confidence in knowing that you can do all things through christ who strengthens you you know um i like to say that my testimony is not my own my testimony is of is a testament of his faith of my faith in god and because i survived it's, it, there's been a many times that I should I should have died. He should have killed me, but I've survived. So that means there's still purpose. I still have purpose. And I'm an average woman. It's not the college degree. It's not, I didn't go to school for this. It's in me. I've lived it. So if I can stand before another woman and say, look, I was on drugs. I was addicted to cocaine. I was homeless. I had children. I lost my nursing license. But look at me now. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm I'm standing before you, giving you my life story to encourage you. You too can. You can do anything that you put your mind to. It's scary. It's hurtful. It's lonely sometimes because friends and family, they don't understand why you have to distance yourself. You don't have that extra income that you used to have. You have to hustle and bustle, you know, working two and three jobs. So if my life can be an example for the next woman, I'm not going to say it was easy. I'm not going to sit up here and tell you the 
what the book tells you, uh, because it wasn't. I had to struggle to get to this point. I had to cry and I had to do it alone. I don't want women to have to do it alone. If I can just pick up my phone and just listen to you for a minute, if I can just say, hey, go over here to this center, I'll meet you there. If I can be that vessel for the next woman, that's what I want to do. If it's just one person a week, a month, a year, I just want to be that one that lives by example and say, I'm here because a lot of times we just need somebody to listen to us. Right. And once you listen, you then you see what I'm in need of. You can suggest all day long, but just listen to me. I want to be that person that listens. I want to be that person that walks with you. I want to be that person for every woman and any woman that needs it. I know men go through it too, but that's not my specialty. I'm a woman that went through it. So until there's no more breath in my body, I'm going to be that vessel for the next woman. I don't care if she's 16 or 60. I'm that woman that God has chosen for this journey. And I take it seriously because I know what it's like not to have anyone. And if I can't tell you how to how to get it or where to find it, I'm going to work with you. I'm going to walk you through. We're going to do it together because I'm learning from you just like you're learning from me. But what I've learned is that a lot of women attract to me because I'm just me. I'm just, I don't sugarcoat. I don't say, girl, well, you need, why haven't you left yet? I never asked someone why haven't they left because you don't know what's keeping someone there. I can encourage you and say, this is what we need to do. But when your time is right, you'll make the right decision for you. We don't want your life. We don't, your life actually depends on if you live or if you leave or stay. So when they know that they have someone that's down to earth, that's been through it with them, they're more, I have more women come to me before they go and call the, the hotline or before they go to another center. I just want to be that one. That's why I do the podcast. That's why I do the support group. You know, I'm the average Joe. I'm not someone that's up here that's famous that that everyone knows. I'm just Crystal. And when when I come in contact with these women, I'm a lifelong life lifelong contact because my biggest thing was being alone and not having a support system or no one having to weave your way through the system and figure it out by yourself. People don't know there's resources to pay for your divorce. You know, there's there's so many resources that I had to take advantage of that is knowledge for the next woman. So it's all about making sure that these women are not alone. One of the things that I've always wondered about mental health professionals um, and people in various roles is when you are a vessel, basically, that is receiving all of these different stories and you know, the pain and the tears and just the heartache from the women that you work with, how do you protect yourself and restore your energy and make sure that you're not taking on things that are triggering what you've been through in the past and kind of just bringing you back to that place? That was a journey because at first I could not run a support group without crying because I identify with so much. But then I did stop my support group for six months because I knew there were still spaces that I needed to heal in. That means I needed to go and spend more time with my counselor. That means I needed to do um, more soul searching for myself and heal the spots that were still broken so that I could be whole for these women. And now it's um, 
I know how to separate Crystal's life from through it all and supporting the next woman. It was a journey. It did not happen overnight, but I was determined not to stop. So when I found, when I saw myself, because women are looking for someone with strength. They need someone that's going to be strong for them. So if I'm standing before you and every time you start talking about how hard your life is, if I break down and cry and I'm a wreck, oh man, what is she going to help me do? So, and not saying that I don't, don't feel for them because I do. And there's been nights after my support group, I go home and I cry for that woman. Hmm. But um, mentally, I am prepared to take it. Emotionally, I am prepared to take it because I have found my complete healing. It wasn't until I was completely healed that I was able to now completely help these women. I've helped them before, but now my attention is fully on them and not fully on what Crystal went through and while we're together. What are some of the first signs or red flags that um, people should be mindful of when it comes to abuse in relationships? Um, possession. Um, we take possessiveness as um, love. Um, financials, if they're controlling your financials, if you have to be on a clock of when you leave or when you come in and when you're going, that's a big red flag. Um your independence when they start to, when when they when my ex husband met me, how I dressed was appropriate and it was fine for him, but then once we were together and we were married, oh no, you can't wear that anymore, or um, accusing you of things. Those are big red flags. Um, not being able to be independent and be your own individual, huge red flags. And nine times out of ten, there's a honeymoon phase. There's a honeymoon phase, you know, um, the first time he hit you, you but like, oh man, that'll never happen again. I don't know what got into me. Take it for what it's worth. Because if, if he had, if they've done it once, nine times out of 10, it will happen again. They'll wine you and dine you after for a couple of weeks or so to make you feel comfortable again. And then once you get comfortable, it's going to be something else that trigger. So yeah. So pay attention to those red flags. If you, if in your heart and in your mind, you feel like, this just doesn't seem right. It could be nine times out of 10, it usually is. And then on the website, on the um, D- National Domestic Violence Hotline um, website, there's a list of, I think it's like 20 things that could be red flags. Check out that list because I checked all of them. Wow. I was in my abusive relationship and I didn't even realize that it was abuse. Wow. Well, I think that you have a beautiful spirit and I'm proud of you for the progress that you've made in your life and for the contributions you've made as a whole to sharing awareness and being support for other women. I really do encourage every woman, every man, everybody who's going through anything that they even think is abuse to visit your website, beyond-blessed.org. I love your blog posts and they'll be able to find your books and um, links to your podcast. And I just hope that everyone really pays attention, especially during October. And um, even if they're not going through it, it's important, I think, for other people to learn about the signs and how to be a support to others, because chances are someone in your circle or somebody that you know, it could be a friend or a loved one, could be going through this and just afraid to talk to you. Um, So, and Krista, I thank you for being a person that 
people can talk to without fear of judgment um, and without feeling like you are, you know, demanding anything from them and just being a friend to people. But I do want to ask you, you told me that you were about to take your first motorcycle ride. What is that? Um, and how does that relate to your story? Um, so we're doing the first annual Crystal's Hope Ride, Not Broken, Fixed by God. Um, I have a friend named Danny, and she she's a biker. And I said, I just have a vision of seeing a, a sea of purple in Denver. I want to go louder and I want to go bolder. I want people to see that someone is speaking out. Well, the Crystal's Hope Ride was birthed, and it's going to be Saturday, October the 7th. Um, we're starting in Lakewood and we're going to do like, I think it's like a three hour bike ride and we're going to end with a um, family carnival. So these bikers have, and it's um, also the combat vets have come alongside. Um, a lot of them are Marines. They work for toys for tots and things like that. So Deborah um, is with the combat vets. And so, yeah, I shared my vision and they were like, okay, let's make it happen. So the very first uh, Crystal's Hope Ride is going to be th this October. Last year was the first um, walk a mile in my shoes, um, my first um, mile walk. And yeah, I just want to go louder. And what other way to get louder than a, a bunch of motorcycles and bikers with purple beards and purple helmets and stuff. So I'm excited. That's amazing. That does sound exciting. And I hope that you all have a blast. And again, Thank you for what you're doing to share awareness because people being able to join in and really not only put a face, but an activity and something that's so exciting and cool to the importance of, you know, Domestic Violence Awareness Month. I just think that's incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you all to tuning in to this episode of Spectrum Talk. Please, again, visit beyond-blessed.org to support Crystal and the work that she's doing uh, to learn more about domestic violence and to keep yourselves safe. Have a great day.